Real Presence Live. It's this really powerful sense of, okay, you're seen, you're known, you're missed if you're not here. Local. It's that good crop of corn or beans or wheat or whatever it is that you do that, you know, you grow it, you grow it to the Lord, and if it doesn't come about, you just have to be patient and say, well, there's always next year. Engaging. Evangelization is the fruit of the love of God being poured into the hearts of Jesus' friends. Live. This is our charism, to be witnesses of Jesus' real presence in the Eucharist. Good morning. We are, as promised, at the Women's Care Center facility in Fargo, live. And this is Roxanne Solomon, your host. I'm joined today by a, a newbie, but goodie. Father Kyle Metzger here, joining Roxanne, uh, hosting my first time here. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm under good tutelage of Roxanne. You've done this several times, Roxanne. Right, but I, know, I think I've had you on as a guest before. As a guest, but this yeah. is my first time hosting. So guide me well, Roxanne. My husband said you'll be a natural, so we're good. <laughs> If you would start us in prayer, that would be a wonderful way to start. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks, praise, and glory for giving us this beautiful day, this day to praise you, to give you honor and glory. We ask you to be with us over these next couple of hours. Be with us, Roxanne, and all of our guests as we uh, uh, seek to be worthy heralds of your saving gospel. We ask you to be with all of our listeners as they listen and take in um, our message today, which is ultimately your message, your message of your son and his desire to come to us and to save us from our sins. Always help us to live holy, pleasing lives in your sight. At the end of our days, bring us home to heaven, so that alongside all the angels and saints, we can worship you eternally in heaven. We ask this. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In Amen. the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you so much. And now we'll turn it over to Eli to let us know what we're going to be doing today. Well, thank you, Roxanne. It's good to be back here. Well, you can often underestimate the power of presence when it comes to praying in front of abortion mills. Jody Clemens and Lila Harmson are two women that know personally that being present when abortions are occurring truly does save lives. And everything is a gift from God. How can this reality change the way we see life? Today, d during today's inspired segment, Diane Clark of the Diocese of Rapid City will share her inspirational journey on how the little reminders make a big difference. And with a brand new facility, including a new chapel, you'll want to tune in to hear how the Women's Care Center in Fargo is preparing to take its service to women facing unplanned pregnancies to the next level. This and a whole lot more coming up this morning on Real Presence Live. Roxanne? All right. Well, I guess we can get started here. How are you doing, Father? There we go. This is great. Like we, like my first time hosting Roxanne. Like we're on location here. This I know. Is, I mean, I didn't even it's get exciting. to go to the studio. We are like venturing out into the, into the locations of uh, the ministries of this diocese. Going into the deep, meeting people hopefully where they're at yeah, and, yeah. and listening to the heart of God within the people. So I don't know. I think we should just start in here. We have our guests with us this morning, which is a joy. It's always nice. We don't even ha always have that, but we have Lila sitting right next to me and across from me is Jody. And they are uh, two women who have been warriors, we would say, prayer, prayer angels, others call them, um, on the sidewalk of our uh, abortion facility here in Fargo. And so today we're going to share a little bit about what they do. And let's Let's just start with an introduction. Let us know a little bit about yourself. Why don't you start, Jody? Well, thank you, Roxanne. It's a pleasure to be here. And a little bit about myself. I am a wife to David, my husband. I'm a mother of four children, grandmother of seven. I am a forgiven sinner. I am a child of God. I am a lover of Jesus, and I am passionately pro-life. 
Awesome. Wow. Okay. And what about you, Lila? Um, My husband, Bill, and I live in Valley City. We are members of St. Catherine's Church. Monsignor Dennis Sconsing is our parish priest. I am a member of the Catholic Daughters of America, Bible Study, the Valley City Right to Life Chapter, and RCIA. We have a son, Scott. He and his wife, Peggy, have two daughters, and one of those daughters has two children. They live in Rochester, Minnesota. For many years, I have been in prison ministry at the prison in Jamestown. I love being in this ministry. The men are like my family, and I've learned much from them. Mm, Beautiful. Well, um, this morning we want to focus a little bit on um, the many years that you've been coming downtown Fargo. You don't live in Fargo, so that's a a little bit Mm -hmm. of a trek for you. But um, tell us a little bit about your dedication. What has brought you to the sidewalk to to minister to the women there? Well, I have been on the sidewalk um, probably since the 80s when the facility was just off Main Avenue. I was also in Jamestown until their facility closed. I was told at a very young age what abortion is and what it does, and the words have never left me. That may be why I've always been wanting to come to the sidewalk, and I feel so strongly about being there. I want to talk to the women who are coming for abortions and try to help them and try to make a difference in their lives. What is it that you were told all those years ago? Do you remember exactly what I told, it was? Yes, I told it. But I was told that an abortion kills a baby and it wounds the woman. I was told that very young, and I, and I can remember it. Um, yeah, it was shocking to me and very upsetting, and I will always remember what I heard. Kids are so receptive yes. to truth, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And that may, that may have been part of my focus to try to help women. Mm. How about you, Jody? What brings uh, you to the sidewalk? My story is one of those women that Lila just addressed. So I first got involved in coming to the sidewalks after our gracious Lord forgave me from the personal sin of uh, my involvement with abortion. I took the life of my first child through an abortion. And after that, I lived for 10 years in a very dark place. It was a place of shame and guilt and pain, suffering, isolation, and secrecy. And my life was extremely broken at that time. And it wasn't until the Lord, through His unconditional love, His mercy, His grace, and His forgiveness, broke into those walls that I had built uh, to, to survive. And the walls of that dark place crumbled down. Um, My pain was replaced with his peace, and my guilt was replaced with his grace. And after that, that that, that still small voice that I heard very clearly spoke to me and said, and it was the voice of the Holy Spirit, and it said, now go and tell. And I have never looked back. I have never looked back. I, um, I felt such a call and such a burden for what? so many women were going through after their abortion and not knowing and uh, the lies that the father of lies tells us before we walk into an abortion facility um, and believing those lies and then walking out and how the enemy comes the, becomes the accuser and how we all believe we've committed a sin that is just too big and too bad for God ever to forgive. So 
the, the death of the child, the victim in the abortion, and the woman that is living in uh, such a state after her abortion is what drew me to the streets. And it's really an obedience to God. I'm there because of obedience to God. It's a beautiful story, Jody. Thank you for sharing it. You know, we're a church of forgiveness, right? Jesus comes to heal wounds. I remember uh, several years back, I was at the March for Life in Washington, D.C., if you've ever been there, getting into that march is kind of like a corral, and you never know exactly where you're going to end. Myself and a number of other seminarians at the time, we ended up right behind a number of women who are all holding signs mm-hmm. that say, I regret my abortion. Mm-hmm. And it was very moving for us seminarians to have ended up right in that position and to be with women in mm-hmm. your position who had the courage mm-hmm. to come. Mm-hmm open up, share their story, uh, seek out forgiveness, and then to have the courage to to march in that. Mm -hmm. What gave you the courage to come out of the shadows, to seek out the forgiveness, to come on the radio and share your story that's 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 a that's a a scary thing i would imagine maybe maybe you become more comfortable but at the beginning that had to be a big a big a big choice you know the secret that a woman holds within her after an abortion the number of the estimated number of years that a woman keeps her abortion a secret after her abortion is 10 years and there is so much fear first of all you're you're in fear that god isn't going to forgive you I mean, you really are. People don't believe that, but it is so true. It's just like, how could God ever, ever forgive a woman that is culpable in the death of her own child? The hardest confession I ever had to make, truly, was that I was culpable Mm -hmm. in the death of my own child. That goes so against the grain of a mother's heart. You know, the mother's heart that is meant to love and nurture and protect. That is why abortion is so abnormal. That is what I see when I go to the streets and we're talking about the streets. I watch these women walking towards this door and my heart breaks because I know what I know what's ahead of them. I know what's gonna happen in that facility. I know they're gonna be lied to, I know they're gonna be deceived, but I also know that their lives are changed forever when they walk out of that place. So coming out of that secrecy, I, I, um, I, I was married. I went into a marriage and did not tell my husband about my abortion. I thought if he knows, he will never ever marry me. And to carry that secret into a marriage, which many women do, many women do, um, I feared divorce. I feared he would leave me. I feared God wouldn't forgive me. My husband would divorce me. I had other children. I thought they would never understand. So you're right. Breaking that secret keeps us in that bondage, but we're so afraid to break it because we're so fearful, even of the pro-life movement. Mm-hmm. What is the pro-life movement going to do when they recognize me as a woman who's had an abortion? But to answer your question, it is so free. And see, the enemy wants to keep us in that captivity, in that self-made prison, in that shame, in that guilt. It is so contrary to what our loving Lord wants, you know. Um, so breaking that secret and going public is the most freeing thing that a woman can do. Well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Real Presence Live. I'm Roxanne Solon, your host here with Kyle Metzger, Father Kyle Metzger, this morning. And we are talking about uh, praying on the sidewalk near the abortion facility here in Fargo. And you just heard a little bit from Jody Clemens. I want to ask you, uh, mention Jody, you've really inspired me because I've heard you through the years and not being post-abortive, I have my own sins, but um, you've really given me a lot of insight that uh, ha- that has helped arm me when I do my vigils on the sidewalk as well. And I just want to thank you for that because 
without that insight and without your sharing, we would be so much, it would be so much harder to, to try to get into the mindset and meet those women where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, And tell me a little bit about that because you have that special sensitivity. How do you approach it maybe in a way that others wouldn't, or maybe advice for others who want to do that ministry? Well, I want to say that Lila and I work very close on the sidewalk, and we both have our own um, messages that we bring to women. And Lila is a champion at this. Where I come in is that I personally can walk up to that woman and I can say these words, I know where you're at. I've had an abortion. I've been in those facilities. Let me tell you the truth. And that is often an open door for that woman to stop because she, she, I might, she, she can identify that I was there. I'm identifying with her. I'm saying, I'm giving you permission to talk about this. I know what this is like. It becomes very personal at that point. It doesn't always work. There's no magic formula on the streets. But at that moment, if God grabs that woman's heart that is a heart of stone at that time and turns that heart turns towards that child, there is an open door that she can identify with me. And it, mm. it, it is as... You know, what the enemy intended for such an evil thing, God can use in situation like this to help other women to save children from death. Say, Lila, you said you've been involved in this ministry outside mm-hmm. of uh, abortion clinics since yeah. the 80s. Yeah. We're approaching 40 years. Yeah. Where are we at now? Oh, I don't know where we're at now. Has has a I, lot I, changed over the forty years from from the beginnings to today, or is or is a lot of it still the same thing? Women have the same needs, or, I, or are I, we in a new position? Yeah, I I think it's quite a lot the same. I hear many reasons why I need the abortion. Mm-hmm. Many reasons, usually, often financial. Uh, sometimes they say this is not the right time. I want children, but not now. Um, my boyfriend or husband may leave me. Um, there's just all kinds of reasons. Yes, I, I still hear pretty much the same things over and over. But but sometimes, mm-hmm. Lila, there mm-hmm. there is a breakthrough. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's not every every week, right? But no. But tell us a little bit about that. What is what is uh, the joy that you receive when someone turns their heart and and what are you are experiencing in that moment? Oh, that is a happy, happy day <laughs> when a when a woman changes her mind and chooses life for her baby. Mm-hmm. Word gets around quickly, mm-hmm. doesn't it, Jody? It really, really does. There's an unspeakable joy, you there know, is. when a woman walking into an abortion facility who was set like a flint to walk into that place, and she's gotten her mind and her heart to that place, and then as 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 we just <clears throat> go to those streets. Just go to the streets, and God uses us to be His ambassadors on the streets outside that abortion facility. Mm-hmm. And we speak, and we see God again change that heart, that heart that is set on that. And you hear these words: "I've changed my mind. Yes, I'm going mm-hmm. to parent my baby." There's an unspeakable joy in that. Yes. There really is. That uh, we we give God all the credit. All the credit. We mm-hmm. can't do that in a woman's heart. God does that. We know it is God who touches yeah, the heart with a mother's love. Yeah. At the very moment she needs to feel his presence, we praise him and give him the glory because mm-hmm. we can do nothing without him. And really, we are outside abortion clinics. 
in obedience to God's command. That is why we're there. He says to love our neighbor as ourselves. Yes. And we do that. That is that innocent little child in our womb. That is that woman walking into that abortion facility. We love our neighbor as ourselves. If you just put yourself in that position, if any one of us in this room were unjustly sentenced to die, we were innocent. We had not done anything wrong, just like this little one in the womb. Yet we were unjustly sentenced to die. Would we not want someone, at least as a witness to this injustice, to say, mm-hmm. this ought not happen, and we are here because we love you? We may not be able to even stop that woman from going in there. But look, we are there because God says, you love, you love your neighbor as yourself. And that is what we do. We are out there because of that. If you have... Um a listener here who's uh, never prayed in front of a, a, an abortion clinic, never been out there. Mm-hmm. What would your advice to them be? Well, you know what? It can always be a little bit fearful because we hear that all the time. Oh, I don't dare mm-hmm. come. It's a little bit frightening. We know what happens there. But I want to encourage your whole listening audience that to be outside an abortion clinic, you are never alone to start with. First of all, God is there with you. But secondly, there are always pro-life people out there. There's mm-hmm. always like-minded people out there who will warmly welcome you. And I want to say this also, um, and then I want Lila to answer this, but when you go out to an abortion facility, you often think you're going out there for other people. I can tell you where God first works. It is in your own heart. It changes us as individuals. We go out and we really watch the reality of what is happening right in our own city, that little innocent little human beings are dying. Our hearts change and it compels us to go again. And also I think one of the important things about being outside an abortion facility, and I encourage you to come, is that your presence is a call to repentance. Just being out there is a call to repentance to those working inside the abortion facility, to the escorts that usher these women to the door of death. We are a witness. We are a call to repentance. We are that one saving person maybe that will save the life of this human being so just come we welcome you uh don't be afraid god is with us lila after 40 years what keeps you coming back i want to help i want to make a difference i don't want um the woman to suffer as jody has explained how difficult it can be Uh, i don't want that for anyone i want the baby's life be saved it's a grave injustice mm-hmm. abortion is really unjust so when it, would people come if they wanted to join you in this ministry they would come Wednesdays there's abortions mm-hmm. Wednesdays every Wednesday in Fargo about 20 or 25 women walk into our states only only abortion facility mm-hmm. and in the last 40 years one of the things I have ch- seen change is that at one time in our state we had three abortion facilities mm-hmm. we now have one and I want to encourage your listening audience again to join us in coming outside that abortion facility with a mission to let's close that last remaining abortion facility in our state let's stop the shedding of innocent blood in the city of Fargo in the state of North North Dakota and make our state a safe refuge for children, for women. Would that not bring glory to God on something that we could all join into? You know, over 40 years we've been dealing with this. Mm -hmm. You know, and two of those abortion facilities have closed. One left. Come and join us. Come and join us. We Mm -hmm. welcome you. We encourage you Mm -hmm. in doing this. I would say come. 
Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Come. All right. If this manner of serving is for you, you will know it in your heart. Well, thank you so much, Jody and Lila, to you both. We appreciate your time and also what you do for the sanctity of life. And we look forward to having you back to share a report on the sidewalk. So thank you. And coming up next, we're going to lift up our intentions that we've received during Prayerfully Yours. And do you have a question about faith or want to stump father? <laughs> Get ready for straight talk. <laughs> Call Later in. in the show, Diane Clark will also be with us to give personal testimony to God's great gifts in her life during Inspired Sharing Your journey. All this and more right here on Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Solonen and, and Father Kyle Metzger. We'll catch you on the other side of the break. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Taking what you experience on Sunday in church and applying it during the week at work can be a challenge. This year's Faith and Business Conference is for business owners, managers, and those that seek to integrate their faith into the workplace. This year's conference features world-renowned speakers that will help you take faith principles and turn them into business practices. Learn how to take your Sunday into Monday on Thursday, August 8th at the Ramcota Hotel in Sioux Falls from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. For more information and tickets, go to faithandbusinessconference.com. One very important parish will receive special treatment at the 2020 Built Upon a Rock Fest, including catered lunch on the concert day, meet and greet with the bands, and a special preview performance. Built Upon a Rock Fest is grateful for parish support and wants to give back. All sponsoring parishes will be entered into a drawing, and the VIP will be drawn on stage at the concert on September 14th. For details, check out builtuponarockfest.com. Builtuponarockfest.com. It's the 63rd Annual PRCA Champions Ride Saddle Bronc Match, August 3rd at Home on the Range Arena. Top PRCA Cowboys compete for the title champion and collect thousands in prizes on the world's best bucking horses. Celebrate past champions or join in the live Calcutta of Cowboys on August the 2nd. The Champions Ride August 3rd at Home on the Range Arena. Exit 7 on I-94, east of Beach, North Dakota. Gates open at 10. The excitement begins at 1. Advanced tickets and information at hotrnd.com. Are you thirsting for God's love, His mercy, His forgiveness? You'll find that and so much more at the Thirst 2019 Eucharistic Conference at the Bismarck Events Center, Friday, October 25th through Sunday the 27th. Guest speakers include Dr. Edward Sree, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, Curtis Martin, and Kendra Tierney. Daily Mass, Adoration, and Confessions are available during the conference. Register now online at bismarckdiocese.com slash thirst2019 and download the Thirst app. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live. It's Roxanne Solonen, your host, and my co-host, Father Kyle Metzger, is here. He was just praying during the break, so I think it's appropriate. <laughs> uh, so it's time now for Prayerful Leor's segment. So almost every day we receive prayer requests asking for prayers for many different t- intentions, and we hold these close in prayer at RPR. So we'd like everyone to uh, who's listening this morning to take a moment to stop what you're doing and just join us in prayer specifically for these intentions. So here are our intentions for today. We want to pray for Paul, who is seeking employment. May he be able to take some time in silence with the Lord, deeply listen to his plans for him, and then follow the path he is asking to take. 
Heavenly Father, we we lift up Paul in prayer. We seek. Uh, we lift up all those people out there who are seeking employment, um, who feel uh, a, a, a desire to give more. And we ask you to guide their efforts, to guide their search, and to bring them a meaningful work so that they can provide for themselves, provide for their families. Uh, they find dignity in work. And it is difficult for them during this, this time of transition. And so please, uh, please give them all that they need. Guide their efforts, both in, in practical, practical means to find work and also to give them their consolation. Your consolation that, that you will provide for them as you provide for the birds and the sparrows and the fish. So much more so you provide for your, for your sons and your daughters who love and serve you so well. So please guide Paul and all those to find work and answer their prayers. Through your son, Christ our Lord. And for Julie and her husband, who was in a semi-accident, may he recover quickly, find employment, be granted disability, and may they be provided the funds they need. Lord, look after Julie and her husband in this very, uh, this very tragic accident. We include in them all of those who are in uh, uh, difficult situations of injuries and illnesses. Please uh, bring them uh, healing. May your your healing son, the divine physician, give them all they need. Guide the guide the means of doctors and nurses and surgeons to bring them back to full health, so that they may return to their families, to their work. And we ask you also to give them the spiritual uh, the spiritual consolation to know that you provide, that you love them, and that you will care for your sons and daughters. And even through this suffering, they will find great grace. They will find redemptive suffering, and that this will not be meaningless and in vain, but ultimately for their greater good and their glory. We ask this through your Son, Christ, our Lord. And for Catholic Customs Store in Duluth, as they search for a new affordable place. Heavenly Father, they they simply want to be your grace and to do your work. And so help this uh, Catholic custom store in Duluth to find a place where they can minister to the people of the city and the region in order to provide for the poor and the needy. We ask this through Christ our Lord. And for the healing of addictions in Carol's children and grandchildren. Heavenly Father, provide for Carol's children, the grandchildren in their sufferings and in their needs. May they find the healing, the growth, in order to overcome these vices and in order to to serve you well in this life, to give you honor, glory, and praise, and one day to worship you eternally in heaven. Please give them all they need. We ask these prayers and all of our prayers for all of our needs, those spoken and those that remain hidden to our eyes. Heavenly Father, please give us all we need. We ask these prayers through the intercession of the Blessed Mother, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for taking time to pray with us for these RPR family members and their needs. If you have a specific intention you'd like prayed for, please visit our website, yourcatholicradiostation.com, and submit it under prayer requests at the top of the page. You can also submit an intention on our app. Simply click on prayer requests on the main screen. With that, we'll be uh, away for a short break, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more Real Presence Radio. Live, engaging, and local. This is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 
of the things that I see happen is, let's say somebody's been listening to the radio and they pick up an idea, they then sit down with their friends at coffee or over cookies and bars, whatever, and they're talking about it and that item, then they say, well, let's call Father and get a little, let's double check that. Let's get a little deeper view on it. But also, when it comes to the events, for example, we have a group here and they look at the faith and then they move deeper into it. What is the reason for this? Why do we Catholics believe this? And as that group has grown, they've brought others in. They've talked about it. They're reaching out. And it actually evolved into a street ministry where they stood down by Paul and Babe with a cart, with some books, with some medals, with some rosaries, and they encountered people on the street. I was very impressed with that. Very impressed that our people would move forward. Our Bible studies become stronger as people hear the word and then they share it with one another. This is Real Presence Live, where the devil is dumb, Christ is king, and the Catholic faith is taking the place of secular living as the lifestyle of choice. This is Roxanne Solonin, your host this morning for Real Presence Live. We have Kyle Metzger as the co-host this morning, Father Kyle Metzger. I don't know why I keep forgetting that you're a father. You, you knew me before I was a priest. <laughs> it's tough to make that transition. Yeah. In fact, you grew up like about a block from where, where yeah, I live I right now. So um, yeah, we have we have that long, long history there. But now we've reached a very exciting part of the program. And uh, Father Metzger has been uh, getting ready and doing his research, getting this ready is, for your questions on Straight Talk. This is the stressful part for me. Roxanne. Now I'm under pressure. I feel like I'm back in seminary, you know, where I've got my comprehensive exams coming up here. But wait a minute. You like this kind of stuff. This is fun. And remember, the devil is dumb. So. The devil is dumb. That was a, <laughs> We're good. That's a great leader. The devil is dumb and Christ is king. Amen. Right. I think that's my new motto. The, the, the verdict's out on Father Metzger, though, right? Like, where does he fall in that spectrum? Like, we'll have to see that. We'll see. Well, when you hear the sound effect, please call 877-795-0122, or you can send your questions and comments to us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. So please call in. All right. Well, uh, we have a, a question from Denise on Facebook, so it's a it's not a softball question. Oh, you're uh, going to start out with a fastball, huh? That's right. Oh, yes. Oh goodness, what is it? So Denise is asking. She says, "I've been puzzling over the hypostatic union quite a lot lately. Is it true that Jesus had in his two natures, human and divine, that each nature had a separate intellect and will?" Or as a singular person, does he just have one intellect and will? Now that is a question. For, <laughs> oh my goodness! I want—I'd I, like to be in Denise's prayer for a brief moment. You know, if, if that's—if uh, that's what her prayer is, Denise is a heavy hitter in the spiritual <laughs> life. If—if if Denise has any sons, I'd like to talk to them about uh, about seminary. If, if that's the case. Okay, so Denise asks a very theological question. The hypostatic union, first maybe we should define you know, a few terms in case listeners don't know what the hypostatic union is. A Greek term, hypostasis, which means uh, uh, Jesus Christ was both human and divine at the same time. Okay, so was he just a human person? Was he just a divine person? Kind of like the Greek gods, uh, who, you know, they had a lot of half god, half man. Jesus is both fully human and fully divine. We call that the hypostatic union, okay? But then she goes on, is it true that Jesus had two natures, human and divine? That is true. That's defined doctrine. 
but that here's here's the crux of Denise's question that uh, each nature, the human, had a separate intellect and will. Now, this is when you're really getting into the weeds of theology. So I want to try to keep this as simple as possible without being coming a heretic myself. Jesus' human nature, does that have an intellect and a will? And is that separate from his divine nature, having a separate intellect and will and this is this was like a drag down uh, a drop down drag out fight in like the the four uh, the fourth and fifth century they had uh, 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 councils in order to hash this out the prevailing th- uh, the prevailing idea was monothelism another greek term monothelism meaning christ had only one will and intellect we ultimately uh, define this as a heresy, and we took from it scripture. Uh, the Garden of uh, Gethsemane, Jesus is, is is suffering the night before, and he's wrestling. Heavenly Father, let this cup pass from me. His, he seems to have kind of, uh, in his human nature, there was a, a struggle with this. Like, I know this suffering that's coming up. I don't want that. But to unite that to his divine will and his divine intellect, that they are separate, but because he's the God-man, they are in perfect unity, okay? So there is a separate intellect, a separate will for his, his human nature and his divine nature, but the, 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 the consoling thing is that they are both in, in perfect unity. Okay, they're not in they're not in intention like that. A similar kind of maybe a, a less uh, difficult issue to to wrestle with would be like when Jesus was like uh, like like let's say six years old. Like to what extent did he know like he was God and could work all these miracles? At what point did Jesus fully recognize he is God's son? Was that instantaneous or did that kind of develop and grow? That's an a, a question of his intellect. To what extent did his human intellect and his divine intellect come together? That's still a question that that theologians kind of hassle uh, uh, wrestle over. Uh, at, at what point they're fully uh, they're fully uh, uh, together, but they are fully uh, fully united. His human intellect and his will, although they are separate entities at the same time. But Denise, my goodness, you you are uh, you are a heavy thinker in the intellectual life. So if that's what what you're wrestling with, good for you. I want to go out for a cup of coffee with you. Wow, yeah. If you have any questions, uh, either uh, more heady or less so than that, we'll take them all. The number to call in is 877-795-0122 in this Straight Talk segment with Father Kyle Metzger. We would love to hear from you. We know you're out there. We know you have questions. This is your chance. We have an opportunity to talk to a priest. I know I have so many questions and I'm, I have to wait a, a month each month to talk to my spiritual director. And some people don't yeah. even have that. Right. And I have like a list of questions that I come in with. So here you have this opportunity right now. You can go on Facebook and ask if you'd prefer it that way, or you can go on our website or um, call us 877-795-0122 and and shoot your questions our way. We uh, are ready to take those. Uh, But in the meantime, what are some other uh, topics we can discuss to get people ready. We can talk about vocations. How about that, Father? Well, I am the vocation director for the Diocese of Fargo, so I'm always ready to uh, to swing the bat at the at the issue of uh, vocations of the priesthood. And, you know, this is kind of a dynamic time, you know, in, in the vocations office, because um, 
the seminarians are finishing up their summer assignments, and they're all gearing up to head back to their uh, to their uh, their prospective seminaries. Um, oh. We're finishing up the applications uh, for uh, for the the seminarians in the diocese of Fargo. We got four new guys who are entering seminary formation, and for our diocese of uh, of about seventy thousand Catholics, that's a, a pretty healthy number. So we're uh, really uh, excited. In in the vocations office, it, it's quite a dynamic position to be because you've got young guys, young men who are um, on the cusp of doing something great, you know, with their lives. And they've they've been wrestling with the priesthood, uh, the question of priesthood for a decent amount of time, some for several years. And so in my position, I'm, I'm, I'm the one who gets to finally help them make that, that final jump into, uh, into seminary formation. And so at this time of the year, it's, it's kind of an exciting time, kind of a, a scary time, you know, doing some, uh, entering seminary formation is, is a big step and it, it comes with a, a certain amount of nerves. But, uh, after a lot of prayer, you know, a lot of working with, uh, with priests, uh, uh as mentors, um, uh, young men, you know, are discerning. This is what the Lord wants me to do, and how could I, uh, how could I say no to the Lord? So it's a, it's an exciting time uh, this time of year to be uh, to be the vocation director. For I sure. want to come back to that because I have a, a thought. But before we get to that, we again, have another question. We do okay. uh, an anonymous. She, she's she or he is is not wanting to come forward with a name, but it, we it's we dangerous. got a signal that it might be one of your old teachers. We don't know. <laughs> One of my teachers who <laughs> yes. taught me as a small I don't know. boy. <laughs> but but uh, the the question is: the three conditions for something to be a mortal sin are grave matter, full consent, and full knowledge. Is knowing the sin is wrong the same as understanding it? Is there a difference? Wow. Okay. So moral theology. We're we're wading into the issue of moral theology, which was my focus in seminary. So I love oh, questions of. Of moral, this is, this is much much better than the dogmatic theology that we just handled with the hypostatic union. For I don't know which teacher this is, but I appreciate the, the, uh, this topic a little bit more. Um, this is a, a very uh, 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 important question for the common Catholic, you know, and th- these types of dilemmas come up in confession quite often. You know, people wondering like, is this sin mortal or not? Um, and as as this listener, uh, my former teacher, uh, uh, very rightly um, describes, there are three things that have to be present in order for something to be a mortal sin. If any of these three things are not present, it's by definition not a mortal sin. It could be a venial sin. It might not even be a sin. It would be something wrong, something that hurts you but it wouldn't, precisely speaking, be a sin that would need to be confessed. And so as I said, the first thing is there has to be full knowledge. So you have to know that something is a sin in order to commit it. You can't accidentally, like, oh, I didn't know that was a sin. Well, if you didn't know it was a sin, then it wasn't. Now now you do. <laughs> so if you commit it again, now uh, it, it's a problem. But um, uh, what would be uh, an example I was a, a school teacher, so I, my, all my examples are kind of children. It's <laughs> focused on children. You walk into a gymnasium with a with a with a, a, a can of pop, and then later you find out, oh, there was no pop allowed in the gymnasium. You know, well, that wasn't a sin because you didn't know pop wasn't allowed. Now, next time you walk into that gymnasium, you better not bring that pop. But um, but if you don't know something is a sin. It's, it's not a sin. So that's the first criteria. The second thing is uh, you have to fully consent to it. Okay, You have to fully choose on it. Um, you have to fully will it. So you can't be forced into a sin. 
Okay. It has to be something that you choose to do. Um, so that's the second criteria. Um, and then the third criteria is it has to be uh, grave matter. It has to be something serious. If it's missing the grave matter, um, then uh, 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 then it would just be a venial sin. Okay. So those are the three issues: full knowledge, full consent, and then uh, 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 grave matter would be the three criteria for a mortal sin. If those are all present, then we're in the area of uh, of mortal sin. I can see how that would be something you hear a lot in reconciliation. That makes sense yeah. as people are trying to sort through. You know, some people say sin is sin. Like, it's just mm-hmm. all the same. But it, logically, that doesn't re- make sense as right. a reasoning person. And see, if, if you don't have that full understanding of what sin is, it can really kind of corrupt your vision of God. Because let's say um, you don't, you're not aware that you have to know that it's wrong for it to be a sin. If you don't think that, then God is like lurking in the shadows ready to catch you and send you to hell for something you don't even know is wrong. And so you're going to have this very kind of uh, uh, nervous vision of God. And I, I, I got it's going to develop into scrupulosity. You're, not, you're going to be terrified of doing anything because God is going to you know, be upset with you. But, but God is not upset with you if you don't know something is wrong. And I think any parent understands this instinctively. You know, when you have a small child, three or four years old, they will kind of, you know, say things or do things that are, you know, they're not appropriate. But the parent doesn't scold that child that says, you know, honey, um, we don't, we, we shouldn't say things like that. You know, it can hurt feel, people's feelings or that's just not appropriate. We shouldn't use words like that. They don't like scold the child. Now, if it continues to do it, right, once they have that knowledge, then it's like, I've talked to you about this. Okay, and you're still doing it, so now we're going to take a time out. But parents understand that instinctively, and so God, who literally we call Father for a reason, um, he's 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 not going to you know uh, 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 send us to hell for things that either we didn't know were wrong, or things that we didn't choose ourselves, or things that aren't you know seriously um, um, seriously wrong. So it, it 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 connects with 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 God as Father. Right, right. Okay. Straight talk. Uh, we would love to hear from your questions, uh, from you uh, uh, with your questions, 877-795-0122. This is Roxanne Solonen, your host today, and we have as a co-host, Father Kyle Metzger, who is also going to be answering any questions that you bring to us. Uh, we talked earlier about vocations, and I want to get back to that because I interviewed you years ago for the little book that you wrote. <laughs> oh, goodness. Yes. <laughs> and and, and, but it was about the priesthood, and, and at the time, even then, even though it was before McCarrick and all that, things were kind of starting to look, uh, looked a little scary, and, and I said, isn't this a, a hard time to be entering the priesthood? And you were just, wow, your, your answer shocked me, and I was so excited then when you came to my parish as, as a young priest, because you said, no, not at all, like, this is, this is the time, this is, I'm, you know, you were all fired up, and I'm like, Wow. I mean, are you still fired up like that? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you're you're right. The, the, the church is experiencing challenges. It always has. Okay? And when you study church history, you see that a little bit uh, more clearly. Um but it, it, it the church has always experienced challenges. Some of them morally, some of them doctrinally, some uh, them administratively, so, you know, the church has been through a lot in two thousand years. Um, uh, so, studying church history helps helps you get a, a, a more consoling perspective that the Lord always provides. This time is no different. 
you know, now we're, we're, we're struggling with, with, uh, certain administrative things of, of developing, d- uh, church discipline issues with the priesthood and how to form men well, uh, for the priesthood, how to evaluate, you know, seminary candidates well, which is very much part of, uh, my position. But, but the thing that, that gives you great joy and keeps you going forward is knowing that it's about Jesus Christ, right? It's about Jesus Christ and his relationship with you. And I work with young men who are, who, who want to, to serve Jesus Christ well in what he's asking of them. And they are very, um, passionate, very on fire, very excited and to serve Jesus Christ in his church. And I think, you know, mysteriously, dynamically, beautifully, in many ways, it is kind of the the cross, the tension, the struggles in the church right now that is is not snuffing out that passion, but in some ways it's fanning it. Because young men who are in seminary now uh, are not part of the problem, and they realize they're part of the solution. Okay, mm-hmm. and part of the solution is for them to take the spiritual life seriously, for them to take sin seriously, for them to take uh, their seminary formation seriously, and the men that um, um, that we have uh, that that I'm in charge of, and I, I'm sure it, it spans uh, dioceses beyond my, uh, the one uh, my own, is that um, these men are passionate about the priesthood and about passionate about the way forward. So it is a dynamic time for 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 the for seminarians studying for the priesthood, and uh, and I am very encouraged about this upcoming generation of priests that um, they're pursuing the priesthood in in a certain amount of adversity, and it's going to raise up a very fervent, a very dynamic, a very holy group of men. Not that we don't have dynamic and holy priests now. We certainly do. But I think there is going to be something unique about this upcoming generation of priests. And I see it in our seminarians now. And I think it is precisely because of the struggles that we're in right now. And they uh, and they want to be part of the, the, the solution uh, forward. And ultimately, the solution comes from holy men who take the spiritual life um, seriously and are, are passionate about leading people closer to Jesus Christ. And that's what I see in our current seminarians in a very, very dynamic way. Well, that makes sense because um, young people want to improve. They have this desire, this innate desire to improve on what they've seen and try to make it better. And so uh, wonderful that you have that that perspective. Yeah. We are on Straight Talk this morning on Real Presence Live. This is Roxanne Solonen with Father Kyle Metzger. Call in with your question, 877-795-0122. We're getting a little bit lonely here on our whiteboard. We'd love to hear <laughs> from you, but uh, if, if not, uh, then we'll continue uh, on. And I think it'd be better to actually hear your question rather than rather than ours but uh um on an educational kind of kind of along the same lines but a little bit different how can parents foster the faith in their kids who who go to public schools they don't have the chance for mass and things like that that you would in a in a, a private school what would you say to that yeah you know we have um um you know, I was a, I was a, a school teacher in Catholic schools, and so I'm very familiar with that uh, with that realm. But we also have a number of seminarians who come from public schools, right? Um, that there's a very uh, holy, pious faith that is is fostered in in a myriad of different ways: homeschooling, Catholic schools, but certainly even in in public schools. One thing that I I encourage parents to do is to do well to kind of observe the church calendar 
the feasts, the memorials, kind of the celebrations that happen throughout the church year. You know, we have our secular calendar. We have secular holidays, Thanksgiving, Memorial Day, things like that. Memorial Day, I, I mean... Being here in North Dakota, right on the edge of Minnesota, you know, it's always a great time. The family gets together. We go out to the lakes. We shoot off, you know, fireworks on the 4th of July. The summers are, are great times, and we, we really observe that secular calendar. When you observe the church liturgical calendar, too, and highlight those feasts and celebrations, it fosters, you know, kind of a, a piety, a sensitivity, um, in the youth, in the family. Take, for example, when you've got uh, when you've got a feast day. Some of them are really like you know obvious. Christmas and Easter are days we do well with that. But some of the smaller feast days, feast days of like let's say the apostles. You know, when you have the June twenty ninth, the feast of uh, of Peter and Paul. This is a, a, a quite a huge holiday in the church. These two these two men who totally set the church on the trajectory of of theology and sanctity. Um, June 29th, that's a huge feast in the church. Um, the family should have a nice dinner on that day, and the kids should have two desserts, right? If you normally have one scoop of ice cream, on June 29th, you should get two scoops of ice cream. But see, a lot of those kind of holidays and, and those things, uh, we, we miss a lot of those opportunities. It provides uh, you know, the family an opportunity to talk about these two saints and, uh, and uh, to share a little bit about their lives. And parents don't have to be worried about, you know, being great scholars or uh, or these um, just kind of your own knowledge and whatnot. Um, at, uh, a lot of the funeral homes in uh, in, in in dioceses will um, will um, give out free calendars at the beginning of the year to their parishes and whatnot. I've seen these like <laughs> across the country. I don't know. It must be a thing of funeral homes will give out calendars. And on these calendars, they have all of the feasts and the memorials, the saints, the, the liturgical colors that are used on these calendars. They're great calendars for a Catholic family. Um, they've got, you know, beautiful, Catholic imagery, I would take those that calendar and use that, display that somewhere in like a prominent spot in the family um, uh, and, and use that to kind of guide um, some of this, you know, the smaller um, feasts and celebrations um, in a family. I think it's, it's a small way, but it can have a, a big impact on the, on the life of the family. Speaking of two saints' feast days, we have our saints on Anjokum, which is my parish here, yeah. and we have our tonight, our uh, no tomorrow night. I'm sorry, Tuesday night, uh, our little picnic that we have every year. I always love highlighting Saints Anjokum because people were like, "What? Jesus had grandparents? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't? <laughs> Imagine he? <laughs> that he was a human person, wasn't he? Yeah. So you know, it, it can be such a catechetical thing to just even do those little celebrations and have people take note of that. It so. is, too, and that reminds us something else. Roxanne, like you said, your, your home parish is St. Anne and Joel, and tonight they have their parish uh, picnic for that. The, the, the actual day was on last Friday, but they're celebrating it tonight. Go to that event, right? It seems, it seems obvious, but you know, people have a lot going on in their lives. There's a lot of communities, there's a lot of events, a lot of things going on at school. Children are heavily involved in sports, and so that connection to the, to the, to the home parish is is we're losing that uh, and so uh, to be connected to the parish events to go to the parish festivals to go to the knights of columbus pancake breakfast yeah you could easily go you know out to a restaurant and whatnot but stick around go to the parish hall to participate in some of those parish events form friendships relationships at the parish that's another that's a uh, thing that's very important right all right well we have vicky from duluth on the line so hi vicky 
Hello. You have a question and for Father I, Kyle? Well, question or affirmation. Um, I grew up a very, very high Anglican and then converted to Roman, you know, decades and decades ago when I was young. And yeah. um, then I left the Church for 25 years and became an evangelical. And when I and then was called back to the church against my will, God God won, and I have loved it. But the quality of the priest that I am seeing today is just so different than what I remember. I when you were saying that, I I am so thrilled uh, with the people that are coming into the priesthood that are that are newer priests and that just from the seminarians that I've met, I I just have uh, a lot of uh, excitement. For what I'm seeing, these people, these these men are very excited. They're very on fire for the Lord. They really get it, and yeah. uh, I, that's kind of what was missing when I was growing up. I mean, you, yeah, on fire for the Th- Lord would not be what I would describe. Yeah, thanks for that comment, Vicky. And you know, I, I would I would corroborate that, and I would say a lot of that, Vicky, is attributed to seminary formation. It, it, it's very different. Even in the past ten or fifteen years, you, you know, a lot has changed in seminary formation. There's been a lot that's you know tightened up. There's there's been uh, a, a lot of things that have changed, and and men in in seminary formation are getting a very solid, a very orthodox, a very holy. Uh, uh, a formation that's that's focused on prayer, that's focused on the sacraments, that's focused on scripture, uh, that's focused on the liturgy, and so I think uh, we're we're starting to see the fruits of that uh, of that kind of uh, uh, refocused on 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 good seminary formation. So that's very encouraging. Myself, my ministry is vocation, so that's encouraging, um, uh, uh, Vicky. Now, Vicky, do you have a, a specific question uh, for us? Um, actually, you answered it. You answered it just now because I, <laughs> Wonderful. I, 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 was wondering, I was wondering what caused this change. We have an incredible priest who's only he's thirty four, which is a kid to me, and Father Drew, and he is he's just incredible. And I, I wondered what has caused this 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 kind of shift. And you answered. So thank you. <laughs> well, yeah. Let me add. Thank you. Thank you for that, Vicky. Let me add one additional thing. Uh, as I said earlier, when you study church history, it really does illuminate so much in the church. It gives you actually a lot of consolation. All of the major um, councils in the church where are, are the greatest kind of clarity and whatnot it was come, the most all of the councils were 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 begun because of controversy. They were begun because of strife, because of like tensions, disagreements, arguments, problems in the church. When Paul is writing to all these churches, the church in Corinth, the church in Colossae, the, the church in Philippi, he was, he was writing to those churches because he had problems. They were bickering. They were fighting. And because of those problems in a mysterious way, we got scripture. Because of those problems, we got church councils and, and, and clarity, growth, order is brought precisely because of the problems. And I think with the priesthood in the the last couple of decades, it falls in the same pattern. You know, the, the, the church, church much doesn't change in this, in this type of regard. And so tragically, what fostered a lot of the reforms in the seminary was 2002, when the, the first instances of, of sexual abuse started to be uh, revealed, mainly focused in, in Boston, but then obviously it spread elsewhere. And it 
because of that 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 tension, that sin, that that controversy. Um, church leadership really said, well, what's going on? We really need to do some reforms. We need to we need to look into things. And every single seminary in the entire country, and I believe this even went throughout the world, but I, I, I can't speak that for sure. But I know in, in the United States, there was a visitation team from the Vatican that visited every single seminary in the United States um, in the wake of, of 2002. And the weaknesses were found in every seminary, and they were given their marching orders in, to clean this up, to fix it. And it was successful. <laughs> it worked. And so me, who was in formation after that, uh, I saw was 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 reaping the fruits of that. And so the 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 the, the courses that were taught in seminary, the the uh, the application process to get into seminary was 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 modified. Uh, the professors were analyzed for their orthodoxy. Scriptures was looked at. The liturgical schedule. Are you going to mass every day? Some seminaries didn't have daily mass. Okay, and that was just said that it's not acceptable under any terms. There's daily mass in, in seminary, holy hours, adoration. All these things were looked at with a microscope, and the church benefited from that. And and the seminaries uh, now have, have uh, uh, are are uni- universally uh, very orthodox, very solid, very good. And 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 the church now is reaping the benefits. So if you've noticed that in the in the younger priests, uh, Vicky, uh, mysteriously, tragically. Beneficially, that was because of what we went through uh, in the early 2000s. Well, thank you so much, Vicki. It's been a pleasure having you, and you have a great day. Thank you. All right. We have one more question we'll try to slip in here from a, a listener who uh, isn't on the phone. But uh, in Genesis, we read about Dinah, the daughter of Leah, and how she was defiled. Simeon and Levi go and kill every man in that town, and her other brothers go through that town plundering it. On the one hand, it seems like we should celebrate this defense of their sister. But what about the idea of vengeance? How should we look at this scene and actions that came as a result, just in a short bit of time? <laughs> yeah, you know, and it's it's a complex question. And unfortunately, there's I can't do it. It justice the book of Genesis, uh, uh, Genesis, Exodus. Um, we see it even more so in the in, in the book of Joshua. Are some of the more difficult passages of Scripture when you're dealing with violence, particularly the book of Joshua, when the the Israelites are returning to to, to the Promised Land, and so there are you know the, there's a lot of wars and stuff in that, and I'm not able to do it justice in 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 just a few minutes here, uh, but it, it is a question of of God's justice, of God's vengeance, and God's like desire to provide for for um, His holy people. So there is there is a rather aggressive form of 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 of, of activity violence that takes place in these books. Um, um, I think one of the things that's kind of consoling that offers a, a bit of like a tempering of that is one of the Psalms. Um, I can't remember what the name of it is, but uh, what number it is, but God does not rejoice in the death of his people, right? God doesn't rejoice in that. Unfortunately, because of sin, because of the Garden of Eden, death has become a reality and violence strife has become a reality in the human condition. But in the Psalmist, God does not rejoice in the death of even the wicked, even the wicked. And so um, it, these are complicating passages in the scripture and, and they take some time. Oftentimes they take a lot of context. You know, when you just read a passage in isolation, it, you can really easily go astray in it. So you kind of need to read it in the context of the whole the whole passage and sometimes even the context of the whole book. That's like right. the, the book of Joshua. You got to take mm-hmm. that in the whole context of what where the Israelites are coming from, where they're going, mm-hmm. what God wants, what God doesn't want. And so 
it takes a it takes a lot of work. That's why you can get a doctorate in scripture <laughs> to try to unpack a lot of these these complicated passages. Okay. Well, thank you. So, from everyone who called in or wrote in your questions, uh, this segment is on nine thirty central every Monday through Friday. Up next, we're going to hear from Diane Clark and her inspirational journey of the small things making a big difference in the eyes of God. This is Roxanne Solonet, and I'm here with Father Kyle Metzger. We'll be right back. <music> 